Hey, everybody. Welcome to Pulling Threads. Hey. Hey, what's up? That wasn't too bad. <laughs> no. Let's do one more, okay? Out right. of practice. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Pulling Threads. Hey. What's up? How's it going? <laughs> hey, I missed you guys. Yeah, yeah I know. What no, you, you haven't missed us? Okay. <laughs> he said, yeah, I know. Oh, I... Okay. He knows you've missed him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I would have, too. I get it. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's been a while. Every, everybody have a good holiday? Yeah. Pretty good. Good. Thank you, Megan. Good. Thank you for all that information. <laughs> It was good. I told y'all I was going to do some baking, so I did. That's what I did. Nice. And I told you Cliff. guys I was going to maybe, I don't know what I told you, because <laughs> I never plan what I I'm going to do. I think you said over. you were going to see family. Okay, and I did. I saw a little some family in Oklahoma. Maybe and, rest. Um, did you rest? I could not have slept any more than had I died and come back as a pillow. <laughs> And Nathan, you said you were, I think. Yeah, I got COVID. Um, I got COVID and was banished to the basement <sighs> for, for 10 days. But you're it back. was awesome. Yeah, I'm back. Which is good. I'm back. It is. Yeah. We're glad. Um, you got the vid. I did. Omicron. Mm. Straight to the throat. <sighs> so we're going to be talking to another one of Megan's friends, one of her thousands of friends who's willing to come on to the podcast we're going to be talking to another one today her name was becky Mm -hmm. good conversation yeah some really good points about mental health i think definitely yeah megan who are we talking to today today i'm super excited because we're talking to my friend becky from college she had a very influential part in my early 20s and she's an awesome person i looked up to her still look up to her and i'm excited for you to hear her story today welcome to the show that's really sweet thank you (laughs) i know hopefully i won't cry today (laughs) so becky can you tell us a little bit about your sweater and about your background sure so i grew up in the bible belt and i as a kid we went to a presbyterian church and my family was really involved there. Um, I wouldn't say we were super religious at home at that point, but we were really involved with the community. My parents were really involved there at the church, and that was kind of a big part of my younger years. Um, my parents divorced when I was approaching middle school, and that is a sweater for another podcast, but... <laughs> Uh, it was yeah. rough, but at that point, then I lived with my mom and my dad stayed back at that Presbyterian church. And then my mom started, um, we started going to an, an evangelical church with my mom, a pretty hardcore one, like speaking in tongues, baptized by the Holy Spirit, all of the things, spiritual warfare, everything like that. So it was a big shift, obviously, from a Presbyterian background, but 
I can't really, I can go back now and go, oh yeah, there were these things that I wish I had learned differently. But really for us during that time, it was also a place of like saving our family. And we found a lot of community there and it got us through really some difficult years. And so, I mean, these stories aren't just one or the other, right? I mean, you're not just talking about all these negative things that has have happened to you, but also there's these positive things that cause a lot of grief later that you lose in terms of community and that kind of thing. So when I look back on those years through middle school and high school, being there with my family was a really happy place. So I wouldn't say that in any way that that's when my sweater started, right? But that's yeah. kind of my background. I stayed in the Bible Belt. I stayed in my hometown. I went to college there. But then I did go to the Baptist church. So I, I like to try out all of the churches, apparently, and <laughs> just really see what everybody's got going on. Um, so in that, and I stayed in the Baptist church in college. So you got a pretty wide mix then, Presbyterian, like more charismatic, and yes. then Baptist. Yes. What, what were the like things that stood out to you as the differences in those three? Um, I think... With the Presbyterian, it, it was really community-oriented, but it wasn't really strong in terms of, like, religious expectations. Because I grew, like, I, in, until I was in middle school, I really grew up in a way that my friends didn't. I was allowed to listen to whatever or watch whatever movies or, you know, things that my friends will say, oh, I couldn't have watched dirty dancing when I was in elementary school, but I was 100% doing that. And so the, but that changed when we started in the evangelical church and that in my middle school and high school years, there was a lot of structure and expectation. And, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies. I couldn't watch friends and things like that. You know, there was a lot of, of, a lot more strict environment in terms of like what we could and couldn't do. Did you feel like, did that bring about guilt for you in any way? Cause we've talked about guilt a little bit on here and I just wonder mm-hmm. like our yeah. friend Heather, we haven't had her episode yet, but she talked about how she didn't really feel guilty about things until she started going to church. Yeah. And I just wondered if those new churches kind of brought about anything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, And the Baptist church was, there were a lot, even more rules, sort of. So um, definitely some, I don't know if guilt is the word that I would use, Mm -hmm. but more um, a feeling of not being able to meet the mark. Right. So it wasn't about, for me, feeling guilty if I did one thing or the other, although sometimes that was involved. It was more that I just felt not good enough because I couldn't do those things all the time. Gotcha. That makes sense. Did you find, um, like with what you just said, uh, in the Baptist church, not being able to hit, hit the mark, um, that is part of the the gospel message through that lens of the Baptist church that you can't hit the mark, which is why... Right you know, which is the the need for salvation. Right. Uh, whereas in the Presbyterian church, did you find, thinking back, um, not as much of a focus on like that personal salvational re- experience with, with Christ, 
that that guilt that you're not missing the mark um different in that way yeah i mean with the so i ended up going back to a presbyterian church as an adult and i sort of leaned towards that a little bit more so but when i was a kid i was just so young i wouldn't say i was super aware of that what was happening but i think at home it was really different there wasn't this expectation to be doing these certain things where in a Baptist church, you're expected to be doing these certain things at home and in your personal like practice with God in the Presbyterian church, my family did not do those things. And that, and there was no guilt about that. There was nothing that seemed off about that until later. I do find it interesting that churches, denominations such as I, I wouldn't say Catholic, but I would say like maybe Presbyterian and Methodist, maybe Episcopalian, mm-hmm. the more liturgical-based churches. Yeah. It would appear that there's not as much deconstruction that takes place when there doesn't seem like the religious trauma is that much compared yeah. to the evangelical churches. I, I find it yes. interesting, and I think a large part of it has to do with what you talked about, the not being able to hit the mark and that Mm -hmm. constant pressure of having to just Mm -hmm. always, um, like the try to meet the standard that you just can't, you can't meet. Mm -hmm. So did you have like a salvation experience that you recall, or did you just kind of always grow up thinking that you believe these things? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely had like a salvation experience in middle school, but, you know, there's a lot of pressure to have that experience. And especially in the evangelical church, there's a lot of emotional manipulation, if you will. So um, I definitely had some, I had that experience, but I feel like I don't know about like how genuine sometimes those things are because there's a lot of pressure on a middle schooler to like be saved. And then there's this loud music and this emotion and you know it, I, I would totally go on board with that you know I'm like a middle schooler whose hormones are raging and moved by everything crying <laughs> at everything you know so Just especially when hell on. especially oh, yeah, when the 100%. flames of hell are the possible result of not yes. having a salvation yes. experience in that whole that spiritual realm is like it's very traumatizing so and I have a younger sister who was um even younger when we sort of entered that environment and it was really traumatic for her to, she had to take like a spiritual warfare class. And I think she was nine and it's like, you know, we were sleeping with the closet light on for a long time. So there were there, there, it's just that kind of thing is very fear-based. So you're not going to be the one that's left behind, right? You'll make, you know, make it happen. So you're not going to hell or countering these demons or whatever so i mean those things those things were preached about and talked about to us even as kids in people's demon experiences and stuff like that and that's terrifying for Ooh, yeah yeah for children yeah. that'll do it yeah so um i did i did have a lot of that growing up too so you're you're in college mm-hmm. now let's say uh what were there any threads you started, like when, what was your first thread or threads that you started thinking about? So 
I sort of think about those college years and I had a, a number of snacks in my sweater and a lot of threads starting to come up. But I think what's important for me is that, so when you're a female in the Christian environment, you defer to like your parents and then God or your spouse and then God. So there are two beings before you, before you're making your own decisions. And so I wasn't taught to think, I guess, sometimes or question things. And I, my personality, like I, I like a good time. I don't want to be feeling negative feelings. You know, you guys were all like, oh, I just read all these books. I had those books on the shelf and I was hanging out with my friends, you know, like I do, I did not approach these things with a lot of thoughtfulness. For me, I would see that there was a snag and it was something I was trying to tuck back in. So I can speak with clarity about all of these threads that started coming up in college. But for me, it wasn't like I was seeing a thread and really delving into mm -hmm. that. It was more that I was like, oh, crap, there's a thread. I need to tuck that back in and move on. So I think that I want to note that because I'm saying like, oh, yeah, I felt this and this and this. But at the time, I was not embracing that. I was trying to glide over it. I was trying to avoid it. Right. For sure. That I was having these feelings. Yeah. Because there is no room to question. And I grew up in this way of like, you're going to go to hell if you don't believe these things. So you better tuck that gosh darn thing back in and move on. So, um, so that's a big avoidance was a big part uh, for me of kind of dealing with the threads that started coming up. And I think also I'm, I'm a sort of an intuitive person. So I will feel something feels off before I really spend time thinking about that. I think later usually. And so I would just feel that something was off and move away. Like, Oh, this feels off. I'm going to try this other church or I'm just not going to be with that person or whatever. I would just keep trying to move, avoid and move away. When you were doing that, what were you kind of looking, what were you seeking? Like what, when you, when you say something was off, like just from a comfort level or what? Yeah. So, so one of the threads for me was that feeling of not being able to meet the mark and, and not just uh, like we're sinners, but I, especially in a Southern Baptist church, like I could not be the Proverbs 31 girl. Like I am 100% not that girl. I enjoy a good curse word. I am sort of bossy, you know? So <laughs> it was like these this idea that you had to be sweet and meek. And I've heard other girls say the same thing. I could not be that girl. And I... What's Proverbs 31? I don't know that verse. It's like, <laughs> I, well, it's you not don't, a, are, you, are you lying? You don't know the Proverbs 31? Well, no. I don't oh, even know. I don't even know. It's like this idea, the Proverbs 31 person... And this was like a huge deal growing up, I guess. Yeah, I thought for this girls. was for everyone. Yeah, for everyone. But just kind of, um, I can't quote the verse for you, so I'm sorry about that. I'm going to go to hell for that probably. But it's like um, this idea that like the woman like rises up before her family and her family calls her blessed. And like she is just so amazing and meek and mild and serving and 
there was always this pressure to be that person, but like I'm, my personality is, I'm just not that person. And so I think, um, I was feeling that, but I would just try to avoid, I would just keep, I was seeking trying to still be that person by like tucking in this idea that I couldn't be that person and trying harder to be that person or trying to root out my sins so that I was that person. Does that make sense? So there would be a thread like that where it was like, well, I can't, I am essentially undesirable by not being this meek, like just beautiful spirit. And some people are like generally like they're genuinely those people. And I am genuinely not that person. (laughs) And I really value being genuine and I always have. So it was, it was hard for me because I f- kept feeling like I was having to be someone else, but I didn't want to confront that feeling. So I would just try to kind of tuck that in and keep being someone I people pleasing essentially. So does that answer your question? That was a long way to answer it, but yeah, I was just looking at Proverbs 31. It's a long list <laughs> yes, of yeah. what yes. is expected from the yes. wife. One hundred percent. Stay up late. You gotta get up early. And yeah. as it <laughs> relates to her husband. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know what I was thinking yeah. while you were talking about that was just like our relationship in college too. Like you were maybe trying to aspire to be this meek person but it's mm-hmm. like that is not what I was drawn to you for mm-hmm. I was drawn to you for your like except like you just felt to me like a confident person who accepted mm-hmm. themselves just as they were and like didn't take mm-hmm. things too seriously and that was yeah. something that like even though you were trying to hide maybe some of those things that was influencing me in a positive way mm-hmm. you know? Now I'm going to cry. Don't cry. (laughs) I think it's really interesting, you know, because like you couldn't hide your authenticity. Yes. And I think I, I became more comfortable with that because I value being genuine and I love people and I love to hear about what people have to say. And I don't do small talk very well. I really want to like sit down to someone and start asking them like what bothers them, you know? Yeah. So I, in surprisingly in that environment, I would get a lot of, I would come to accept myself more. I think because people would say to me, oh, I just appreciate how genuine you are. Or, and I was, and I think I began to value that more later because I think yeah. people started to feel what I wanted. I mean, you want someone to be with you and feel like, yeah, I can be whoever the heck I want to be. Right. So <laughs> The pressure to be this person, Mm -hmm. the Proverbs 31 woman who's a good submissive wife and all of that, like, was that an explicit message or do you feel like you just picked that up by osmosis just in that environment? No, it was an explicit message. I mean, we would receive these Bible studies and, um, you know, preaching on, you know, I thought actually... I'm going to keep referring to Marcel because I've been listening to it and it's really like striking a chord with me, but they talked about in one of their episodes, they talk about like what we do to women. And it was just so mm. true of the way I grew up in the evangelical church and even some in the Baptist church of this, like 
you please your husband, you don't say no, you, you know, it's your, it's all your responsibility to do these certain things and be this certain person. And so, um, I mean, that's really, it's a lot of pressure to be someone like that. And then, especially if you don't naturally, you know, you're, I'm not naturally like a meek, sweet person. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I couldn't, I really struggled with that. And along the same lines, and this is a very big thread for me that will come later is that because I was, I value being genuine. I really struggled with the fact that we couldn't have feelings and that if Megan, I was angry with her and she did something and I felt mad about that, God said to forgive. And there was no talking about the in-between. There was no space to say, yeah, I'm angry and I want to forgive, but I still have all of these feelings in between. There was just no, which goes back to being genuine. How can you be genuine if you cannot feel your feelings, if you cannot be angry, if you cannot be sad? And so I think I, I wouldn't say that I was like constantly thinking about it. I don't, I'm not that kind of a person, but I sensed within myself, I cannot have these feelings. Like tuck away who you are, tuck away these feelings, do not, you know, don't step out of line. And so those threads for me, they're kind of all along the same line of not being who you really are, you know, not being moved by, I mean, I love a good worship band song. I really do. But, <laughs> you know, it's a very emotionally manipulative, to, right, to sometimes with the music or the prayer voice or, you know, what these things. I think your cousin was saying the theatrics of the whole thing. The I, prayer voice. Yeah, yes. 100%. Yes. I mean, I why are voice. we changing our yeah. voices? I do not under, <laughs> I have a really hard time with that. So when I was on the, when I was on a praise uh, band team, we would always skip out through the back during the sermon, but mm -hmm. we could hear the sermon from our media room. And we always knew it was time to head back when we heard the, the prayer voice yep. yeah. changing. Yeah. Like that's, it got our attention. Oh, prayer yeah. voice. We got to go. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'll second that. <laughs> So to so to this point, Becky, it seems like your biggest issue was the the inability to be your authentic self. Yes. In the context of this is who we want you to be, and you it it the, they were very far apart, right? Who you who you felt like you were, and who you wanted, like who you knew you to be true to yourself, you had to be. Yeah. And then this model of what a good biblical woman is. Yes. Didn't didn't. Okay. And they, and yeah, I, and I know you asked her, like, if she received that message, like, explicitly, or if it was just kind of absorbed. And I know you said you did receive it explicitly, but the truth is, it's such a part of our culture mm -hmm. that you don't have to. I, 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 I'm not a woman, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to speak for all women. But by observation, it seems like that's kind of, almost like the default, you know, kind of feeling mm -hmm. that the man of the house is in charge. And you yes. don't even have to have a religious connection yeah. to kind of feel that pressure, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Well, that, for some reason, I just thought of two books and I, I've only read one of them, but you know, <laughs> we grew up to me, I was reading a book called Lady in Waiting, 
Yeah, yeah, and yeah. boys were reading a book called Wild at Heart. Uh-huh. You yeah. know, yeah. like yeah. even yeah. in the yeah. titles there, you can see. Yeah, I just gotta, I gotta wait. And... Yes, they they talk about that in Jesus and John Wayne mm. that book, which Becky, I would recommend that one mm. if you if you like Marcel and especially how they're kind of deconstructing the yes. the role of the woman yes. and how that was promoted the there's there's whole chapters in jesus and john wayne about how just how toxic it was yeah. and how it was crazy and it was women were like there were women leaders in the movement yeah like, pushing that on other women but obviously mm-hmm. there were men you know yeah it, it was more of a patriarchal thing but yeah yeah it's pretty sick stuff yeah i think what's been so good for me about your podcast and about mars hill and everything is that for for me to have someone put words to something I have been feeling for so long just feels like such a, it just feels so healing for me because in later, kind of later in my story, I talk about this, but I spent a lot of years like wondering what I'm supposed to do next. And and kind of wondering, like, is there anybody out there? Like, I couldn't find anything on, like, this guide on, well, I, this has happened, and now what? What do I do? And so hearing other people and hearing these stories, it feel, feels like, for me, this space of, like, oh, yes, yes, that's exactly what I was feeling, and now I have the words that are saying those things, you know? So mm-hmm. anyways, that's a side note. <laughs> That's our mission statement to provide a safe yeah. space, right? But it really is yeah. like being in a closet and thinking mm-hmm. that you're the only one that yes. is in this particular closet. And lots of people are who maybe they haven't figured that out for themselves. They don't have the words. They're feeling mm-hmm. these things, but they're afraid to say them. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you. And I also want to thank you for adding another word to our sweater metaphor term list that I don't think we've ever used before snag. Yeah. I don't know yeah. that we've ever oh, used yeah. that. And I think that's perfect. You did. You saw these snags in your sweater, these bumps and you wanted to put yeah. them back in. That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm a professional. Yeah. You are awesome. <laughs> Thank you. So when did you get to the point where you stopped trying to tuck in your snags and you started either pulling them or letting them hang out? <laughs> well, for me, um, like I was saying, I was trying to avoid them. So, you know, in my young adult life there, I moved away to a very liberal city and kind of had my eyes open to like actual real life. And that was, that was a space for me of going, Oh, like these people I just met at church have asked me out for a glass of wine and nobody's freaking out, you know? So it was the, the beginning of, opening myself to these other ideas. And I think as I did, I remember they're sort of not like, Oh, I've just unraveled this line or whatever, but that I looked down and realized my sweater was off, you know, (laughs) because I was trying to avoid it. It was kind of done before I realized it was, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So I, then I was like, Oh my gosh, like, I have to look through all of these threads and see what's happening. And, you know, obviously I spent a number of years being angry and um, hurt. And, and then I think, which is kind of what I 
was referring to earlier that there was this moment where, because for me, I'm a super like spiritual person. So I still longed for that spirituality and I never struggled with my belief in God. I don't know much else beyond that, but I never struggled with that. But I had this feeling of like holding this ball of yarn and not knowing what to do next and not hearing anyone else say these things are happening. Now my friend, so my friend Stephanie, I think you guys are going to interview her. She was doing the same thing. I met her in college. We're still besties. We went to a show last night. So we're like constantly deconstructing together. So I have had someone that I could bounce these things off of and I was never like alone, but I was, I think, looking for a guidebook on what I'm supposed to do next. I had, I had only experienced God by a quiet time, but quiet times felt like trauma to me. So I could not approach my spirituality in that way. So I just felt like I was frozen, frozen in this like space of holding this yarn and wanting to make something new, but not knowing how to do that. Right. So I think that that sort of kind of was all of the unraveling for me. And then I had a big shift in like creating something new. Oh, I really like how you put that. Mm -hmm. So you're left with this ball of yarn. Right. Um, you know, your former belief system is kind of now all untangled, mm -hmm. detangled, whatever, unraveled. You don't have a guidebook. So what do you do next? Like what, what do you, what does that look like that time? So I just kind of spent a lot of years feeling a little bit lost. And then in my, um, thirties, I am out of my thirties now, but when I was in them, <laughs> I had a moment um, in my life where, so my family, my um, parents and everything, there's definitely some dysfunction there. And um, so there were some things going on in my family and I had a really big health issue and my life was just sort of squeezed. And I really began to examine myself and I started therapy and I started doing a 12-step program for um, children of adult alcoholics. And I, my life was like completely changed after that. And that is where the beginning happened for me. Because um, I, I went through a lot of therapy. And the 12 steps, I mean, they are the most amazing thing I've ever done. I think everyone should be required to go through the 12 steps. They're just so relevant to everyone. I mean, everyone has some sort of dysfunction in their family. You know, all of us have had these, the spiritual trauma and all of these things. And through that process, I, not only did I heal a lot from really being able to go through the anger and the hurt and all of those, you know, the pain and the things that I experienced in that environment and in my life. But I learned how to have boundaries and express feelings. And the second step, it talks about, it's a, it's a, like, so the 12 steps are like a spiritual program, but you don't have to 
be Christian. It's God as you understand God. And for me, it was like, after I'd already done this healing, now I had this space to go, I have permission to find God as I understand God. And I think that is really where the thing where everything shifted for me because I now had a space where I could go well what does that mean to me I I have permission basically which I didn't need it but to find God and understand God in a way that made sense to me and so I think that was kind of the shift for me in the way forward if that makes sense So would you say you're like have been creating a new sweater since then or just kind of resting in that or? I think a little of both. I think um, I have found new ways of finding spirituality. So I, I have found like a new sweater, I guess, in a new way of approaching my spirituality, but I also am in a waiting space too, if that makes sense. Or I, I'm really comfortable with gray areas. And I think that helps me a lot because I don't have to know answers. I'm not, Stephanie and I talk about this a lot because she's a very black and white person. So for her, it's harder because I think sometimes she wants specific answers, but for me, I know that's not going to happen. So, and I'm not uncomfortable with that. And so I think that helps me to sort of sit in this space of going like, you know what, I don't know all the answers, but I can find spirituality in laughing with my friends. I can find a connection to God in these, I heard someone speak on a thin space. I don't know if you've ever heard that idea, but there's a thin space where your connection to God is easy because it's a thin area that you were created for. So in music, for example, for you music nerds, there's like this space of like, it's easy for you to find spiritual connection because you were made for music, right? You were made to feel that deep within you. And that thin space I think is different for everybody, but those things are spiritual, right? And you're family and your love, those are spiritual things. And I think I've found ways of accepting that that can be worshiped too, and that God can be in those spaces without having to be, having to be looking a certain way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think part of me is, you know, in this space of like, well, we'll just, I'll see what happens next and I'll be open. I think that's my requirement is just to be as open as I can and honest. I think learning to be comfortable in that gray area is to me the best possible outcome of Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Yeah. The journey. Yeah. And I mean, it took me a lot of therapy and a lot of healing. And once that healing came, I think then I could be open. Mm -hmm. I don't think there was an openness before that there is now. And this idea that it's just going to look really different and you just sort of have to take things as they come to you and allow them in. That's still where I am, but I do think that there's still a bit of a grief. I mean, church is really good at community, right? And when you don't have those things, how do you find that with your, 
family and I, my, my daughter's approaching middle school and she wants to go to youth group. And my husband and I are like, what do we do? You know, saying she's going to be on a podcast talking about how her parents wouldn't let her go to church, you know? So, (laughs) so I think we're, I think definitely there's still grief in that. I thought, I thought for my family, we would be this place of being able to connect and go to church and the kids would go to youth group and we would have all these friends and, and I think it's just not that easy. And I want to take her to do what she wants to do, but how can we do that without traumatizing her too? You know? So I definitely think that it doesn't stop. There doesn't stop being a little bit of a grieving process sometimes or grief here and there where like you realize, Oh, I did lose this thing or yeah. So I don't know. I guess that's where I am now. Well, Becky, what I think is interesting about your journey, and I'm, I've been tr- in my head, I've been trying to figure out exactly how to word this because I don't want it to be taken the wrong way because I don't want it s- to make it seem like I'm um, minim- minimizing somebody's experience of what led them to deconstruct. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, I have to remind myself co- constantly, I had this big coming out of the closet, gay journey experience, right. which, right. you know, and, and other people, you know, there are some who have like these huge experiences. And what I think is more people probably, I, I want to say probably relate more to your journey where you're just living life and mm-hmm. you're, you're get given all this information that not, that is not registering with your, like your inner creation. It's right. And I don't know. I don't want to, you didn't have anything like huge and traumatic happen to you or something like that. It's just, you're living life. You get this information. It's not computing and you're, and it caused snags. Yeah. And you tried to hide, you know, that's what I find most interesting about your journey is Mm -hmm. I I just think many people can, will be able to relate to it. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair to say. No, absolutely. I mean, I was just telling Stephanie last night, like, I don't really have a cool story. So I'm a little bit nervous about, um, you know, what I'm going to say, because I don't have a big moment. No, I think your story's cool, for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it's definitely like a an experience. And I think that's, you know, I would run into other people and be like, oh, yeah, this... I'm feeling these things or I don't really go to church anymore. We don't really do that, you know? And so it, it's just a normal progression for a lot of people, but there's just no. And people need to hear you your at- story in addition to my story or because more people are, you know, I, I wouldn't want people to think, Oh, I didn't have some type of huge coming out of the cloud or whatever the situation may be, huge some type of huge traumatic experience to really mm-hmm. have validation to my journey, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I think for me it's important for people to realize they have permission to ask questions, especially females, right? That you have permission to want something different and to be yourself and to ask questions and and I think that comes down to also a self-worth issue where like 
you deserve to have a say in your own life. You deserve to acknowledge who you are inside and ask these questions. And I think everyone should go through the 12 steps so that they can get to that point. <laughs> well, we appreciate you being Definitely. here. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. really good. Yeah, she's got such a calm voice, Megan. Just very calm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was basically my therapist in college. <laughs> I love to like sit around and talk about feelings. So yeah. Anytime you guys want to talk about feelings, just give me a call. I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> I'll do. Yeah. I got lots of feelings. Okay. Have some feelings. Okay. <laughs> so Becky, you talked uh, a little bit um, about therapy and 12-step program mm -hmm. so what would you say to anybody thinking about it i will tell you this i i think when you're on the other when you're on the beginning side of therapy and the 12-step program or whatever you do it's terrifying it is mm -hmm. terrifying to see the mountain that you have ahead of you and know that you have some hard shit ahead but when you get on the other side of that, it is the most freeing thing that will ever happen to you. And I, I am like a huge person about therapy. And listen, the 12-step programs are not just for children of alcoholics. They have all kinds of 12-step programs, and they are not faith-based. It's just a spiritual program. But I just think there's... So I think for me, one of my biggest things is like, there's so much freedom to be had in finding yourself again and accepting yourself. And you've, you've been brave enough to do what you've done this far. You can also be brave enough to continue on into that like difficult space. And even I would like to commend anybody who does any of this work, including deconstruction, because it takes so much so much like bravery to come out and go against what you've learned and go against the people that love you and go against all of these things to step into this space of becoming your own person and owning your own truth and everything. No, I think that's a really good, like something that no one's really talked about yet on our show too, which I think and it Maybe. needs to be discussed mm -hmm. and in and society in general yeah the importance of mental health and the 100%. importance of and and not and not worry about the stigma or try yeah. to get rid of the stigma that comes yeah. along with it yeah all right everybody that was our conversation with becky thanks for listening to that yeah, it was good it's a good reminder to you know check in with your mental health professionals um because i think sometimes we forget that that's an option that can help us on our unraveling story, you know? Big proponent of therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone should go through some form of therapy at some point. Agreed. I haven't yet, but agreed. So next week we have Amber. So we hope you'll come back and listen to Amber's story. Um... It's kind of going to be the first of a two-parter, right? Yeah. Amber, she talked about her brother a lot. And so after that, her brother reached out. We got in touch with him. We had a conversation with him. So we're going to do those back-to-back -back because they were...
big parts of each other's lives and big parts of each other's journeys. And so I think it's a good, mm-hmm. uh, a good one, two. Well, brother, sister duo. Yeah. All right, everybody. We will see you next time. See you yeah, then. It's good to see you guys again. Yeah. Everybody Bye. be safe out there. And what, what do they do? What do they, what do they have going on uh, that they need to just avoid the robotic? What is it called? Omicron. Omicron. Yeah. Omicron. And wear your seatbelt. There, there are, there are two um, other Beckys that I know in my life. One of them is, look at her butt. It is. Oh my god, so, Becky. Oh my god, Becky. Look at her butt. It is so big. Isn't that? Yeah. And the other right. one is. Yeah, keep going. I, I'm trying to remember. We should all know this. And then the other one's from Roseanne. Oh, yeah. Becky, about Becky her. Connor. Yeah. And my mom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know Busted. that one too. Uh, I forgot that her name was. <laughs>